Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. This, um, this month, all of our campuses around the state of Arkansas, 17 in total, have decided to do a series together. So everybody this morning across every campus, every service um, is speaking um, from a series that they were calling Rooted. And so the next month, we're going to be talking about just core value. We're going to be talking about what does it mean to actually have roots in God? What does it mean uh, when we use words like change or, or grow um, or seek? And so as we get into this series, I, I want you to connect with it. I want you to follow me. I want you to bring your Bible or your, or your Bible app, and I want you to just be prepared to op- open your heart. So this morning, let's go into Luke chapter 13. I'm going to set this series up. And this is a parable given to us by Christ. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, Luke chapter 13, and let's begin reading in verse 6. I'm going to read four verses here. He says, Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now, I have been coming to look for fruit on the fig tree and have not found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Now, I want to pause for a moment because there is, in this verse, ironically, um, it it gives us some some relevance to where where we are. So this man, uh, I want to give you some imagery. This, This man has a vineyard, and he's got a particular tree that he's concerned about. And he's been going and checking it regularly, and as he does, he notices that it's not bearing fruit. And he says, listen, for three years I have have gone and I have searched this tree out, and I've looked at it, and for three years it has not bare any fruit. And so I think we should cut it down. And I want you to think about this for a moment, but three years ago a lot of our lives changed. The church changed, the community changed. And so I'm not going to spend my time preaching about this question, but I think we have to bring it up today and ask the question, what happened maybe in your life three years ago that has caused you to come three years of time and now you find yourself sitting here this morning and you've struggled to bear fruit in an area because of something that happened? So maybe because of fear, maybe because of a particular life Change maybe because of the way church shifted, your faith shifted. And so now the way you look at God or look to the local church and your view on that is maybe skewed or you look at it through a different filter. And because of that, are, are, are you bearing fruit or, or have, have you stopped bearing fruit in a specific area because of what the past three years has been in your life? Now, I don't want to talk about that and spend my time on it, but I do want you thinking about it. So let's go on to verse 8. He says, Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. Now this phrase, 
dig around really means to cultivate, like to take the soil, massage it, turn it over, um, make it softer and supple. And he said, and I'm going to feed it. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to prioritize it. And he said, and if it does not bear fruit next year, fine, cut it down. Right? And that's the end of that parable. So when we get to this time of any year, there is this natural progression for us to pause and to look at our lives and to kind of reassess. We are driven culturally by a a calendar year, and so at the start of a new year, we look at our lives and we do an assessment. And it's just this, this natural opportunity to reset. Now, maybe if you're like I was when I was a kid, you just reset by pulling the cord on things and plugging them back in, right? So like when I was a kid, I had this video game system, and if it wasn't going the way I wanted, I just pulled the plug, and I started over. You know, I just reset it. I didn't like it, and I would just reset it. When I think about our home, my wife has a particular way of resetting our home every year. Every January, she will freshen things up. She will spruce the house. She'll rearrange furniture. She'll sell furniture. I mean, if you're in the market for furniture, just follow her on Facebook because she sells it. And so we have all kinds of stuff just shifting and picture shifting and she'll go through every single drawer we have and just do a clean out and donate a bunch of stuff. It's just, it's her way of saying, I'm ready for this year. She has this phrase she's always used where she says, I want my home to rise up and greet me. She'll say that. That's her way of resetting our home. Maybe for some of you, you do other things. You might say, I'm going to color my hair. I'm going to do something different or you say, you know what, I've got the itch for a, a, a new car. I just want to drive something different. Or you say, you know what, I might segue into a different career. I might, you know, try this. I'll start a new service line. I'll start a new business. I might go join in that organization and try my skill sets there. And so that's what change and shifting and this natural reset looks like for you in January. Well, to put a biblical language to this, and refer to this parable, what we are actually doing is we are looking at the fruit in our lives and we are saying to ourselves, I want more of that, or I want better fruit. I'm looking at some fruit in my life and it seems like this fruit is rotten, it's not working, it just it doesn't taste good, it's not pleasurable, but I keep producing it. And what I want to do is I want to have better fruit. And so Ironically, when we look at that and we start to use this language of bearing fruit in our our lives, it's interesting because God deals with the parts of our lives differently than we do. We write out these goals and these resolutions and we come up with cliches and and t-shirts and we put it out here for everybody to see and maybe Maybe you gathered with your family and you took a few minutes and you said, let's exchange what everybody's going to work on this year and how we're going to get better or what we're going to do as a family. Or maybe if you're a business owner or a leader in an organization, you got together with your team and you sat down and you said, these are our goals for the year. And you had them on paper and you could hand them out and they had all these, all these neat images to them and everybody was excited. Well, that's not the way God, God works. God doesn't look at 
at the surface level. He looks at the root. God is seeing what is below the surface in the depths of you, and he looks beyond the canopy of our lives, and he sees what's really drawing up the nutrients. He he looks and he's able to see why we're able to do the things we're able to, to do and why we're limited in some areas. And these are areas that are so deep in some of us that maybe they're blind to you. You don't even know what you're drawing from because you've been so blind to her. You've ignored it for so long. And God says, I see the root system in your life. Now, I've shared this story many times and I just couldn't fight sharing it quickly with you because it, it's so applicable to this topic. But there was this giant sequoia tree, this red redwood forest. It was one of those big ones, the kind that you could drive a car through if you wanted to. And the park rangers in this forest, this national forest, uh, went out one morning to do their normal routine before the visitors arrived, and they were just kind of checking everything. And there's one particular tree. I mean, these are those big ones, you know, those enormous, hundreds of feet tall. And for some reason, this tree was on the ground. In the middle of the night, it had just fallen over. And they were just shocked, and they immediately began making phone calls and get the specialists out here and get the get the arborist out here and let's let's find out what's going on. And so they brought in teams and they said, we gotta, we gotta figure out because th- if this is some type of disease for trees, we gotta protect this forest. So the researchers really dug in and man, they, they were just checking things out and they made soil samples and they just checked everything around it and they came back and all of them concluded with one thought. And they said, let's hear it. And they said, this tree fell over because of foot traffic. He said, yeah. Over the years, all these tourists had come close to it to take pictures of it, and they had trampled this thing's root system till it damaged it. And it's it's tall. I mean, it's, it's got all this height from years before, but this tree's been sick a while, and it's fallen over because where all those roots are bubbling out of, of the ground, the tourists have been standing on them to take pictures, and they've literally, on some of them, their foot traffic has wore the root down to where it's not even pulling sustenance anymore, and it fell down. So the plan became this. We're going to fence in these trees. We're going to back the tourist off, and we're going to say, this is as far as you can come to take a picture. And so back, back up, and they put a fence around it, and they guarded it, and they insulated it. And that's the point I want to make with you. The root system of your life, the one that really drives the core of you, the belief system for you, the part of of your roots that say, this is why I believe that I'm part of the Jesus story. You've got to guard that and fence it in and protect it and hold on to it and keep some things at bay and say that's that's far enough. You You can't come any further with this. Because you can have all the strength in the world, but if your root system is not guarded, then everything that you've spent your life's energy on, everything that for years has produced growth for you, and when people look at you and they're in awe of your accomplishment, all of that is jeopardized to fall over and collapse all the things you are, all the things you could be, because the root system has been trampled. 
And listen, life is mean and it's nasty and it can trample you. Life can come and just roll right over you and you can find yourself exhausted and sapped of strength. Your faith evaporated. A season of grief can just wipe you out emotionally and spiritually and relationally. And we wave the white flag of surrender in many, many parts of our root system and say, that's enough. I can't take anymore. Why? Because life is hard. So these roots have to be guarded against the trampling of life. Well, here comes some good, good news. And I want us to read this together. This is Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 3. It simply says, says this, the righteous cannot be uprooted. And I want us to say this together. Let, let's read it. The righteous cannot be uprooted. One more time. The righteous cannot be uprooted. Now, in your Christianity, you view this word righteous as the right thing, doing the right thing, right? If you do right, you're righteous. But in this particular instance, what I want to do is parallel this to say that righteous means those that are with God, okay? The righteous, the group, the ones who chose him, live with him, live for him, serve him, dedicate their lives to him. The righteous cannot be uprooted. So let the winds blow, let it come, let, the, let, let all the things happen that happen in our lives. You cannot be uprooted. So this creates a question. What allows us then at this time of, of the year to truly generate supernatural change? Not just superficial change. Not, not the kind that says, I think I'm going to do this, but supernatural change, like looking at your life and going, I'm different than I was a year ago. To bear fruit, to have a thriving root system, what causes that? I mean, if we were comparing life change to a recipe, what would be the primary ingredient? Well, I suppose, since I'm the one teaching this today, I get to choose what word that is. And so, today, I'm going to start this series by talking out one word the word determination. Determination. Now, I want to start that by with this principle. Determination is different than decidedness. Okay? Determination is different than decidedness. Determination is what fuels your decidedness. So when you sat down last week or this week, or you've gathered goals, or you've made a resolution. That is a choice, but that choice will fade without determination. Determination fuels it, and so it's different. Those two are not the same. And so what you've got to do is take a decision and then be determined to fuel it. Now, I can prove this in one example. You decided to marry someone, okay? Now, the reason you're still married is because you are determined. Come on, somebody. Right? You didn't get married, and then you get in this big old argument, this big old heated moment, and, and what brings you through it is not you saying, well, you know what? We chose to get into this, so I guess we're just going to stay. No, no, no. Determination is what keeps you in it. The determination 
to fuel your choice to get married. Because what happens is that big old fight makes you want to go out and key your spouse's car that you pay for. But through determination, you say, we are going to stay in this and we are going to have a godly marriage. The reason you're still married is determination. Have you guys ever had a major let, let down? If you've ever been let down, I just want you to raise your hand. Yeah, you've had a major let down. I want to talk out just a few of those because we've had a lot of them in, in history. Y2K. How many of you guys remember the whole setup of Y2K? Yeah, that was a big let, let down, right? I mean, we were all sitting there thinking the end of the world was coming and Jesus was coming, right? Because you can't have a world tragedy without somebody prophesying that the Lord's coming. So it's like, okay, listen, there's going to be two things happen. All the computers are going to shut down and Jesus is coming. And so we're all sitting there and all the specialists in the whole world are sitting there and absolutely nothing happens. It just rolls over, click, it's time to keep moving. That was it. The silent sound of a number changing. How about Millie Vanilli? Has it let down? Right? Girl, you know it's true. It's... What do you mean those guys can't sing? They're not singing. They're just, they're dancing and they're, no, they're not. Those guys, no, they're not. Big let, let down. I don't know if you've ever let yourself down. I have. I remember growing up in Little League Baseball. I was a little bitty guy, and I was the only guy on our whole team who had not put one over the fence yet. And I was so disappointed because my coach was a Gideon, and what we got for every home run, we got a special edition Gideon Bible that was camouflaged. And being the super Christian that I was, I was really excited that I was going to get that camouflage Bible. My dad was on first base as, as, as the coach, and it was the perfect pitch. It was coming in. It was just outside fastball, just where I, I liked it. And I connected with that ball, and I knew it. I was like, that thing is yard. I just knew it was gone. And it goes up, it's high, high, high. I'm looking at my dad, he's like, he's pointing, he's like, you did it. And we're both, I mean, things slow down, you know, the word, just slow motion. It was like that movie, The Natural and Man, you know, it's down, bum, bum. I was just running. And, and all of a sudden, a northeasterly wind from Satan begins to blow against the baseball. And as it does, it comes down and hits the top of the fence and bounces in play. It was the longest hit to first base I had ever made. And I was, I was just so disappointed. I just sat over there really upset. And I think about that often because it, it, it comes out in my, my, my preacher thinking because I think to myself, how many times in my life have I hit the top of the fence? And I want you to think about that. How many times in your life have you hit the top of the fence in career or relationship or finance or a dream or something you started, something you wanted, and you thought it was gone? I mean, there was a connection. It was beautiful. It was the perfect pitch. It was the right moment. Everything was going to happen, and it hits the top of the fence and bounces back in. It's to let me, it just pulls the wind out of you. I can't believe it. I've had a lot of things in my life hit the top of the fence. You have too. But what keeps us moving and growing and seeking is determination, not decidedness. 
The zeal of a, a decision fades. But man, when you get determination in your gut for something, you want to see it happen, it will fuel those choices. Second, if the process is personal, then it's worth repeating. Keep in mind, we're talking about determination. If the process is personal, it's worth repeating. Let me give you some biblical examples of determination. Naaman, commander. Well-liked, favorite of God, gets leprosy. It was the archaic version of cancer. He comes to the prophet Elisha and he says, listen, I need to be healed. I'm a young man. I don't want to die. I'm at the peak of my career. Tell me what to do. I'll do anything. I just need God to touch my life. He sends his servant to tell him, says, listen, go dip in the Jordan seven times. Now, there's a lot of preaching that because he, he doesn't like it. He's complaining about it, but he does it. And he gets down in all of his great royal clothes into the muddy Jordan, and he dips four times and five times and six times. And on the seventh time, he gets healed and he comes up clean. And I, I love that because there are times in our lives where the process is worth repeating because it's personal. I'm going to pray about it again and again and again and again. Why? Because I love it and I want it and I believe in it and I value it. And so we're going to cover our church and our marriages and our children and we're going to keep on dipping and dipping and dipping and believing for God to touch our lives. Why? Because we're determined. And the process is worth repeating. Why? Because it's personal. Elijah prayed seven times for rain and rain to come. You got, you, got, you got to see this. I mean, he's crying out to God, send the rain, send the rain, open the sky. He sends his servant, go and look, look for rain. He comes back, it's not there, man. It's, it's just not going to happen. I'm, I'm going to pray more. Go and look, go and look, go and look. He sends him seven times. Noah built an ark for almost a hundred years of his life. He goes out and he cuts wood and he shapes it and he puts it together and he's going through the plans of God for his life and his family's life. Why? Because he's determined. I'm going to give it time. So don't, don't be upset if you've been praying for something for a month and don't see it happen. Think of Brother Noah who built for a hundred years. Keep doing it. Keep believing. Stay consistent. The process is worth repeating when it's personal to you. David, man, we have preached David. We, we've had so much fun with the story of David as preachers. And I love this part because he goes and he gets five stones. I've heard this story my whole life. And you know, they hear, well, you know, well, Goliath had four brothers, man. He was going to go after them next. We don't know that. It's fun to preach it that way. What I think is this. Okay, th this is one angle. One, opportunity, one, one option, rather. David dips down into that creek bed and he gets five stones because he has sized Goliath up. He said, listen, it may take more than one strike to kill this guy. I think I can hit him. I've killed a lion and a bear and other things. I'm a pretty good aim. And I'm pretty mad too because he's over here defying the name of the Lord God and I, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. I'm the only guy in this whole army. I came to bring some nacho cheese dip to my, my, my brothers and now I'm the one out here fighting this thing. But he said, I'm going to get five stones because if I hit him with two and it doesn't kill him, I'm going to throw three at him. 
If I, if, if I glance him, I, I'm, I'm going to go after him. I'm going to keep on doing this. I'm going to give myself five opportunities to follow this guy. Why? Because he was determined to get it done. I love it. Modern examples of determination. Michelangelo, it took him four years to paint the Sistine Chapel. 343 different characters. He was determined. Thomas Edison and team, depending on what you read, says that they went from between 6,000 and 10,000 filaments in the light bulb before they could get one that burned for any length of time. That's a lot of trying. That's a lot of mistakes. That's a lot of filaments. But he was determined to make that part of his life story. I'm going to come up with this. I'm going to do it. It's a great idea. I mean, can you imagine if they'd stopped on 5,999? Thomas, we've been through so many. Let's try one more determination. J.K. Rowling, she was rejected 12 times by editors for her Harry Potter story. Those guys are kicking themselves this morning. Abraham Lincoln, you've read this too. But he was defeated for state legislator. He had a nervous breakdown. The woman he thought he was going to marry passed away. He got defeated for the speaker, defeated for Congress, defeated for land officer, defeated for Senate, defeated for vice president, and two years later became the president of the United States. I don't know about you, but about two or three into that, I, I might have gone, I don't think politics are for me. You know, I've lost three things. I don't, I don't, I think I'm going to go back to being an attorney. Michael Jordan. Game 5, 1997 finals, played with, with the flu. It was said that by the time they got him to the locker room, he had over 103 temp, but he scored 38 points in that game. It's more than just decidedness. Decidedness is, I'm still going to play tonight even though I feel terrible. Determination is scoring 40 points. I'm going to fuel this choice. When it's personal, it bears repeating. And there may be some of you today, you've got a personal thing in your life, a personal issue, something that you're trying to push through. Listen, be determined. Stay with it. Stay at it. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep fasting. Keep trusting. Do it over and over and over again until you see the fruit. Sometimes it takes a while to get the nutrients through the root system and up into the canopy where you can actually see it. It's a process. Third, patience and determination have to coexist. Okay? They coexist. Now, let me use a little life example for this. Sometimes Robbie will go into a store. Okay? Let's say it was yesterday and it was at Athens. Leto. Let's just say that. She goes into this store and she says, I'll be back in 10 minutes. Well, I've been married 22 years. 10 minutes times reality equals half hour. So that's what that means. 10 minutes means 30. So I let 30 minutes go by. I bumped into Craig. We talked for three hours. Still sitting on a park bench. The sun goes down. I'm still there. So I decide, after all afternoon, I'm going to text her. And I said, hey, are you still in Athleta? Yeah, I'm in the dressing room. With what? 
Now I'm checking out. You know, it's like a play-by-play. I know how I work in those circumstances. And guys, if I don't know how, how you are, but this is how I am. I can feel like the impatience coming on. I can, I can feel the blood pressure rising. I say, come on, I'm hungry, I'm ready to go, whatever, I'm ready to go home. But this is not the way the Lord is with us. Okay, He is not impatient. And maybe this is the word that some of you need to hear this morning. And I'm going to say it really slow, and I'm going to pause with it, because I want you to have the ability for it to hit you in the, the chest this morning. And here it is. God has not given up on you. God has not given up on you. So if you're in that spot where you're tired, you're wringing your hands, you're worried, you're thinking, man, I should be bigger than this and stronger than this. I should have known better. All these things. God has not given up on you. If you're standing outside of your life right now in January and you're looking at the canopy and you're saying, man, there's not enough fruit on this and this is this is worrisome. I'm, I'm at the stage of my life where this should be more green and this should, this should have delicious fruit that everybody around me is getting to enjoy. And it's not happening. God has not given up on you. Okay? Now let's end this by looking at the end of this parable. If you got your Bible still, let's look here at Luke 13, 80s. He says this. Sir, leave it alone for one more year. There's the patience. And I'll dig around it. I'll cultivate it. I'll get my hands in it. I'll prioritize it. I'll fertilize it. There's the determination. Patience and determination are coexisting there. Give it one more year. What if... What if God, this morning, were whispering to you somehow through this message, through a song, through this environment of us being together, what if the Lord was whispering to you, I'm giving you another year. I'm going to gift it to you. So keep praying for your kids. Because I'm giving you another year. I believe that you're going to fence in your roots and you're going to see some great fruit in your life this year. Why? Because I'm patient with you. I'm going to give you another year. God, I don't know if I can get over this. I don't know if I can forgive them. I don't know if I can forgive myself. Listen, I'm going to give you another year. Why? Because I love you. You get determined to get through it, and I'm going to give you the time and the patience behind it. We're going to work together. And I'm believing that these this three years of time where we saw the whole world change, that this is going to be a year of revival for many of you. I'm talking about spiritual revival, relational revival, financial revival, emotional revival. Some of you are going to come out of a funk that you've been in for three years. Why? 
Because God's saying, I'm going to give you more time. So you roll your sleeves up and you get down there and you cultivate it. You feed it. And I'm going to bless you with the time and the patience and the mercy because I love you.